HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila, delicious and smooth tequila, meaning harmony with the earth. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the great fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome Brazilian cooking sensation Jaini Matkevich. In this episode, we'll talk to Jaini about going from the Amazon to Hollywood, winning the Julia Child Challenge, and we'll hear Jaini's Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. Dear to Julia's heart was inspiring home cooks to be just that, dedicated and passionate home cooks, as she saw herself. She also saw cooking as a social activity. It was rarely something she did alone. Usually she cooked with family and friends, not just for them. Many a visitor with an invitation to Julia's house in Cambridge would be surprised to be ushered straight into the kitchen upon arrival to help prepare the meal. Julia thrived on the social aspects of cooking, the teamwork, the camaraderie, the sharing of ideas, and the warmth that comes with genuine hospitality. To Julia, cooking embodies all of that, not only skill and butter. It is in this spirit that the Foundation participated in the recent Food Network and Discovery Plus cooking competition, the Julia Child Challenge. 
Now, we're aware that many fans think Julia would have hated the idea of a cooking competition. But in actuality, modern cooking competitions weren't really even a thing before Julia died in 2004. So we really don't know what Julia would have said about it. Unfortunately, not all cooking competitions are the same. What we do know is Julia valued anything that was designed to teach and inspire home cooks. And not only did the Julia Child Challenge embrace both aspects by putting passionate home cooks at the center of the action, it also features Julia teaching from clips from the French chef. It's as if Julia is setting the challenges, which were, if you haven't watched it yet, to reinterpret classic French dishes based upon the contestants' own life experience and cultural background. The competition was friendly and educational, with a prize of an all-expense-paid course at the Cordon Bleu in Paris, where, of course, Julia went, and that's designed to further the winner's interest in the culinary arts. Rotating guest judges, many of whom knew Julia personally, like Dory Greenspan, Michael Voltaggio, Julia Child Award co-recipient Susan Feniger, and Sherry Yard, alongside her mentee, head judge Antonio Lofazo, were there to support the contestants as much as scrutinize their dishes. As Dory said, Julia was there as both teacher and cheerleader. And for the viewer at home, there was instruction from Julia on everything from filleting sole, making mother sauces, to whipping up souffles. One of the home cooks who was channeling strong Julia vibes only with a Brazilian accent, is the winner of the Julia Child Challenge, Jaini Matkevich. Born in a remote area of the Brazilian Amazon, Jaini discovered her heart was in cooking rather than the law she had studied to practice in Brazil. With the goal of becoming a professional food writer and the encouragement of her now husband Douglas, Jaini decided to follow in Julia's footsteps and knowing virtually no one, moved to Boston to study English and take cooking classes at Boston University's Culinary Arts Program, founded by Julia and Jacques Pepin and still supported by the foundation. After chronicling her journey in the Julia-themed commemorative issue of Cherry Bomb magazine, Jaini auditioned for the Julia Child Challenge, beating out eight other passionate home cooks and Julia superfans for the Cordon Bleu Prize. She'll attend the course this fall, and now living in Oceanside, California, which is near San Diego, Jaini is pursuing her passion for cooking, food writing, teaching, and learning for others, from others, just like Julia. She joins us today to share her incredible journey from the jungle to Hollywood. Welcome to the podcast, Jaini. Hi, Todd. Thank you for having me inside Julia's kitchen today. Well, it's great to be together, and I'm excited to talk to you about your amazing story and 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 the future. So <laughs> let's start with the past or up to the present, because I, it's, it's just an amazing story, I think. Tell us how exactly did you get from the depths of the Amazon to Boston, and, and how much did Julia in that part actually play a role in, in, in such a big move? <laughs> That's that's a funny story, Todd. <laughs> so I, as you said, thank you for your kind words. I was born in a very remote area in the Amazon. My my dad was a Polish guy that was uh, researching vaccines and tropical diseases in the Amazon, and that's how my family ended up there. Mm. Uh, but but I was born there. You know, cool job nowadays, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, well, yes, very current kind of work. Yeah, so we lived there, and it was such a different um, upbringing. You know, I, I don't even. It's hard for me to put into words. People are always asking, "How was it to grow up in the Amazon?" And it really is like growing up in the Amazon. <laughs> There's nothing alike. <laughs> and you weren't you weren't in like because w- w- is it called Manaus? Is the the big city that is in the Amazon? You were not in a big city. Oh no, not at all. It would take me like five days to get to Manaus. Oh, so wow. it was really yeah. And we would travel um, by boat. You know that that is the type of thing. Like we didn't have electricity at some point or TV or internet, anything like that. So I was just like eating fruit from the trees, you know, playing around and, and cooking with whatever I could find. That was like my my hobby. So I remember when we finally got a TV, I was watching cooking shows with my mom because she would uh, note down all the recipes, like the afternoon cooking shows, and then she would, not, would, would note down a, a, ba- a cake recipe or something. And then we saw... A quick clip of Julia on um, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And she was making spaghetti Marco Polo. <laughs> and she was just so fun to watch. And I think that was for kids. It was a show for kids, right? i never seen that before. Mr. Rogers is, yeah. Julia was doing a, a, she was like guest star on Mr. Rogers. And that's why she was making spaghetti Marco Polo because it was kid-friendly versus what's in Master <laughs> And and that just got me immediately. I just I fell in love with Julia that second, especially because I was a very different kid from everyone else in the village I grew up. So, you know, it was hard to find a kind of connection with someone, like feeling represented somehow. And Julia represented me. She was tall, she was, you know, she was Julia. And I mm. loved her. I mean, everyone loves Julia. <laughs> so I sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask you, so obviously you've just described how remote it was and that I don't think Julia was routinely on TV in Brazil, even if you were in Sao Paulo. So from there, when was the next time you saw Julia or were you able to somehow by then have internet access or when were you able to see more of Julia? Uh, So yeah, Julia was not on TV and still up to this day, not a lot of people know Julia in Brazil. Mm -hmm. So uh, what happened is that I... I then, you know, I I I just grab onto that image I had, but the next time I saw Julia, I was already a teenager and it was like Julia Julia and Julia the movie time. Mm-hmm. So then that was when I saw Julia again and then I was a teenager already, so I was like, "Oh, now I can, you know, try to read her books. I remember her just I wanted to just get more connected to her by then." But another thing that happened is that I used to go to a French school because there's like this mission the from the Catholic Church from France in the Amazon. And they built up the school for kids because we didn't have an education by then. So I grew up going to a French school. And, um, you know, they were speaking about French words like coquembouche, patachou, all of that. And that was very whimsical to me. And I knew about Le Cordon Bleu back then because of the school and the connection I had with friends somehow, mm. which is very funny. <laughs> no, so Julia, well, it makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense now. So Julia was, um, you know, in between all of that. And then that's why I loved her so much also because of her French background and everything. Then I grew up and then I decided I wanted to um, become a chef, but my parents didn't let me 
because we didn't have any restaurants back then over there. So what would I, you know, what kind of work would I do? And, and at that time, your mom, parents were still living in this remote village in the Amazon. Yeah, we moved to a slightly larger city so I could attend high school, but it was not that different, you know. It's still it very remote. It wasn't Manaus. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't Manaus. Um, and then I went to law school because my mom said so, and I did. And I disliked it very much. I spent like the six years just dreaming about cooking, you know, and <laughs> doing what I love. And where did you go to law school? How far away from where you grew up did you go to law school? I went to law school in the south of Brazil. It mm-hmm. was very far. It was like the same distance from the coasts here. I see. So you did leave home and go to a totally different environment to study law. I did. I did. It's actually the state where my husband is from, but we didn't meet when I was there. We actually met in the Amazon. So (laughs) it's another whole other story. uh, I know. I know. And then um, I went to law school. But the whole thing is that when I was in law school all the time, the only thing I wanted to do was cook or talk about cooking, you know, or think about food. So I knew deep down that was something I wanted to do. And then I had this deal with my mom. Then I told her, as soon as I get my bar, I'm going to give it to you. And then I'm going to go follow my dreams. And then she said, Uh I'm fine with it. (laughs) Oh, so she wanted you to have the education. But once you got it, that she felt like you had sort of a backup plan. So she was more comfortable with you taking risks. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then, uh, but the whole thing is that in during this time when I was at law school, I actually lost my dad um, in a in a car accident, and then he was only forty four, so mm-hmm. things you know changed a lot for us, for me and my mom, and mm-hmm. and especially I think he, I started seeing life from a different perspective. Is just more what am I going to do if I only live this much? Um, do I want to waste this time? Do I want to go for what I love? You know, it was always mm-hmm. this uh, this feeling of missing out somehow. And I didn't want to feel like that anymore. And my dad was a great cook. He was just like very intuitive, natural type of cook. And, and I learned all of this, I know, with him. So I told Douglas, my boyfriend at the time, that I wanted to uh, follow in Julia's footsteps because I decided I wanted to change my life. And she was my hero. You know, she was an immigrant in France, too. So I had this in common. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I loved cooking. She loved cooking. And we were both very tall. So I said, I think it's enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I know enough about this story. Douglas, as an amazing guy, just was like, yeah, sure, I'll move to a foreign country where I barely speak the language while you can follow your dream. <laughs> I know. Every every time I tell the story, people are like, oh, Douglas, you're so sweet. And he really is because he had no idea. We both had no idea what how we would go on that. You know, it was just, okay, I want to do this. I want to learn English. And we didn't speak a word in English back then. So that was a challenge. But I knew and is that I just want- so people who are wondering, because you know this is a sensitive subject, is that how you got a visa by doing an English language class? Exactly. Yes. That's how I got a visa. So that was the first, we kind of divided this whole task in, in smaller tasks. So the first task would be learn English. 
and then the second apply for a master's degree at BU. And then next would be go to Le Cordon Bleu. You know, we had this planned out somehow, but life happens differently. It's not like we could control that. Mm. So as soon as we arrived, I remember I, I wanted to have a coffee. I didn't know how to order it. Doug didn't know either. And then we just, we looked at each other at the same time, like, what have we done, Doug? Oh, my <laughs> God. And then, but he has been so supportive through this whole journey. So we decided we would learn English first. And then I spent about four years in English school. It's like an English as second language program. Mm-hmm. And during this time, a way that I actually improved my English was by reading cookbooks or reading, you know, food writing pieces, everything I could read in English that was interesting to me, mm. talking about food. Mm-hmm. It was a way for me to improve it. And then I just felt in love with writing about food and reading about food. And then I decided that I didn't want to be a chef per se anymore, but I want to write about food and teach people how to cook the way I do. And because I feel like I have this very Brazilian approach to cooking and, and I just wanted to share this. And it, by Brazil, by Brazilian approach, is that what you refer to that? Like particularly in Brazil, cooking traditions are quite oral and they don't have the same deep cultural, um, like kind of cookbook, uh, lineage. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's more like we pass the knowledge through generations, generations, and it's always oral. And we just cook with our intuition somehow. We have a lot of techniques, of course, but there is this, this more, um, I would say, more emotional approach, you know, mm. where you really understand what you're doing. You learn how to cook at first, and then from there, you just have to be more adventurous with it so you learn how to do it by heart and that's how I learned so I thought well this is very different you know maybe I could I could <laughs> write about this and then I was on this another journey of okay now I want to be a writer in a in a language that I just learned <laughs> <laughs> of course and is that so catch us up to Cherry Bomb is that was Cherry Bomb something you discovered and was one of the publications you were reading or how did how did you end up writing this essay about this story for Cherry Bomb magazine So I I knew Cherry Bomb for a, even I think before I moved to the US I loved the work and I was obsessed with them <laughs> I just want to read everything cuz it ties so much with what I like to write about and I remember during the pandemic they posted something on their Instagram saying, oh, we're accepting pitches for a special Julia issue, which I thought was fantastic. And then Doug and I were talking and he said, well, you should write to them because, you know, we changed our whole lives because we love Julia. And and I think people could find this an inter- interesting story. So I did. I pitched Cherry Bomb and Carrie Diamond, the the editor and mm-hmm. founder of Cherry Bomb, she actually emailed me back and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and she was so kind and happy that I wanted to share my story because, you know, there's not a lot of people that cook and love Julia as much as I do in the Amazon. Mm-hmm. And then, and for me, it was even more special to be able to talk about the place that I belong. And I never really had this chance before you know, and then I just went for it. And 
It was so challenging to write, but so easy at the same time because it came straight from, from my heart. It was challenging to try and edit the story in a way that would make sense for everyone else, but it was so soothing to finally tell someone, you know, I love Julia so much. I changed my whole life so I could be closer to her somehow. So that was really, really amazing. And I love the article, how it turned out. And Carrie is simply the most amazing lady in the in the business. No, I, well, I remember talking to her about the issue and she said, Todd, you're not going to believe this. I have this amazing story from this young woman from the Amazon writing about <laughs> Julia. So she was so excited from the beginning. And for those who haven't read it, or if you haven't gotten the, the Cherry Bomb commemorative issue about Julia, which is full of wonderful stories, you should read Jayani's piece because um, while she's told us a lot, it, it's very moving, particularly about um you know, the journey that she's had, which you can hear Jaini is a very bubbly, warm person, but <laughs> there's been challenges. And of course, she mentions and she mentions in the show, show the impact of her, her father's early death. So I encourage you. And I was curious, though, I know from Carrie's perspective and from the show, but after in between being on the show and the article, did people reach out to you? Did you get feedback from strangers about the Jerry Baum article? Oh yes, I it, it that just really taught the most amazing thing that people message me. They still do all the time about especially like this commonality. Some people that you know lost a parent too early, or or some people that somehow went through challenges that look like mine. Um, they message me, and then we create this connection, and it feels so good to know that we are not alone. So definitely, the the chat. The article changed everything for me. It it really started my career as a writer, uh, but also opened up other opportunities, pretty much like the show. Perfect place to transition. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back with more from the winner of Food Network's The Julia Child Ch Challenge, Jaini Metkevich. Stay with us. We're going to talk to Jaini after the break about what that was like to compete for the Cordon Bleu Prize. Stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and their rarest natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. I'm Chaba Periban, co-host of Agave Road Trip on HRN here to talk about 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods that a family-owned and operated distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. From the blue agave they grow to their recycled glass bottle, 
818 emphasizes the Earth's importance in all they do. Their distillery runs on biomass and solar power, which means they don't rely as much on fossil fuels and are able to reduce their carbon footprint. Their labels, corks, and boxes are all certified by the Forest Stewardship Council as coming from sustainability-managed forests. 818 is a proud member of 1% for the Planet, through which they support HRN as well as Sacred, my organization in Jalisco, where together we transform agave byproducts and water waste into adobe bricks that are donated to local infrastructure projects, like a local library in Zapotitlan de Vadillo. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their sustainability efforts and find 818 near you. 818 has been part of so many magical nights for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. Welcome back. We're talking to the winner of Food Network's The Julia Child Challenge, Brazilian cooking sensation, Jaini Matkevich. So, Jaini, you gave us the story of sort of how you got from the Amazon to Boston to Hollywood. And so let's talk about The Julia Child Challenge. What was it like competing on the show? And was it something that like you got to Los Angeles and thought, you know, in your head, you were visualizing how you were going to win or what was it like? Todd, I had no idea. I mean, for me to be on the show already was like, well, you're just the, the most amazing thing. I was, I was glad enough with this, you know, to know that how many people wanted to be there and I was picked to be there. So that was fun. And I did not expect to win first because I had this fear of, I, I didn't grow up with Julia's influence as much as uh, my other competitors. So I always wonder, do I know enough about Julia? You know, do I feel comfortable doing this? But also because I, I think being an immigrant sometimes puts you in that position where you don't feel confident enough about anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was like, I can't speak enough English. You know, they're not going to understand me. And, and and what if I say something wrong? And I, what if I cook something wrong? But I think this is not exclusive to me. I think we were all very, you know, afraid to embark on this new adventure. But um, I... Again, Doug was like, you have to do this. If there's someone you have to do it for, it's Julia. You know that. (laughs) And then I went. (laughs) Well, it was amazing to watch. I was lucky enough to be behind the scenes, but we were filming kind of at the height still of the pandemic. So there was a lot of separation between the cast and the producers. And um, but 
it was amazing to watch the the competition. And there are so many unforgettable things from my side of particularly the first time the judges like, you know, came back and gave us feedback. They were like, they were in shock because of the level of the food that all the contestants were making. They were like, this is better than the food like on professional shows. So they were blown away early on by everybody. And I was curious, like, were there things that you were shocked by or did you ever feel like comfortable or did it always feel like the sky is falling? (laughs) I think it was a mix, if I can say so, because... Um, I felt, you know, and this is really interesting, the, from the moment I first stepped into the set, it looked so much like Julia's Kitchen. And then we were welcomed by Julia herself in the, in the huge television. So in that matter, I felt comfortable and, and I felt like I had a familiar face um, waiting for me there. So I, I just, it was like I was visiting Julia's house, really. But at the same time, Everyone was so talented and passionate. And really, when I tasted their food, I the only thing going through my mind was like, how can I compete with these people? They're so incredibly talented. And this is something I always thought about cooking shows. I always thought, I don't know if those food taste really good. I think sometimes they're just making it up. But no, this is not true. Food really tastes amazing. And I was so impressed by the quality and the level of the food we cooked. It was it was really fun. And do you think that um, like the fact that everyone was good or could produce, you know, obviously everybody had their moments where because it's timed, it's just difficult um, to get Mm -hmm. everything to turn out right. But did you feel like that helped everyone like step up their game? They were like, oh, wow, this person's doing that. Or how, how sort of competitive versus friendly did it feel? Oh, I mean, it it was again, a mix because it felt really competitive because of the quality of the food. Like everyone was doing their best and, you know, it's hard to think sometimes that (laughs) you can, you can cook as good. Uh, but it also felt very friendly. I think the whole spirit of the competition was more focused in um, showing our our journey through learning with Julia and from Julia and really sharing this love for her we had in common, this passion for cooking and all things culinary. And then in that matter, this feeling bonded us. And then I I was competing, but in my mind, since day one, it was more like, I want to get to know these people. I love people. So, you know, I wanted to finally find people that I could talk about Julia all day. <laughs> and then better if I could eat their food. So it was a bonus. I never really felt like this was a competition for me because I, I didn't want to go in that in that way. I wanted really for this to be an amazing experience that I would be always proud. And how did that feel when you started getting the feedback from the judges who were a very esteemed set of accomplished chefs and food writers of praise for your food? Like, what was that like? <laughs> that was a, such a huge surprise. I think my first, the first dish I cooked, I was so nervous and so stressed, you know, the whole thing. And I and I did not perform really well. And they were actually super kind. And then I figured... Are you talking um, about the canals? <laughs> Everyone was terrified also. with that day. I mean, we were all like, oh my God, is this going to be a train wreck? <laughs> it's 
it's funny, isn't it? Like, now that I watch the show and I'm like, what I was thinking about, for God's sake. <laughs> but then they were, the judges were so supportive even after that. Then I realized, you know, this is more about cooking the food I love and I cook at home than actually cooking something to impress everyone. Uh, and then I think that changed because, you know, I was thinking, oh my gosh. Because do you eat fish canals and... Do you eat fish canals in the Amazon? Not at all. But I, I, eat, I eat pan fried fish all day. I could do this with my eyes closed. You know, I could have done a traditional soul with my eyes closed. But then I wanted to impress them so bad that I just went on that way. And then they realized, thank God, you know, and from that moment on, I decided I would only cook food that really represented who I am and the way I cook and eat at home. So uh, it worked, but it was always a surprise. I was never expecting them to like my food in any way. And then everyone was like, oh, this is delicious. So it was good, especially because they cooked a lot of Brazilian, you know, and it always, always feels good to have someone praise the food from, from your country. Well, and for those listening who have not watched, Jaini is being incredibly modest because she often made the judges speechless uh, with the <laughs> deliciousness of her dishes, which I unfortunately never got to taste, but hopefully one day. But I can remember some of the, like, I think it was Sherry Yard's reaction to your mocha cake. <laughs> Is that right? And she was like, just like in shock because it was both good and original and different. And, you know, that you were blowing their minds, as were many of the other contestants, um, particularly the three mm -hmm. finalists, including you, on a routine basis. So, I mean, did that give you confidence as that happened? Or was it sort of like every week was a new, a new day? Uh, well, thank you, Todd. I'll cook for you as much as you want. You know this. Um, but really, the, the confidence, confidence is a funny thing for me. And I've been working on that for the longest time. But the being there and seeing someone you admire so much for their work in the food world say say that you cook something that is, you know, good enough for Julia's table and everyone else, all the competitors there respect so much saying the exact same thing just gave me this the kind of boost I needed to just keep doing what I was doing because it's hard to figure out what, what kind of cook you are. You know, I've been living here for almost six years. I've been always trying to Americanize myself to adapt. Now I stop with this, but you know, it's always, it's not only about confidence in the kitchen, but it's also about confidence in myself, building myself as an immigrant and, and just finding that strength and understanding that what I find very common or simple might be something really interesting for someone else. Well, and sometimes it's just that little bit of twist. Um, I'm going to fast forward to the finale because there were certainly times <laughs> in the finale where you might have, if there was actually a, a betting booth, you might have been tipped as the favorite, but you didn't necessarily sail through you ended up encountering like several difficulties and it really was like you made this ropa vieja dish which which is actually latin but not brazilian but you did it in a brazilian i can't remember is it ropa vieja cuban actually it's cuban yeah yeah so you did a brazilian <laughs> style cuban dish beef <laughs> bourguignon in the finale which you you spoiler alert you burned it right and so did <laughs> but what happened 
Um, so the finale actually, and, and by the way, during the finale, I wasn't expecting to win at all. You know, I just wanted to finish all the Well, dishes. and behind the scenes, it looked like it, 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 no one, it, we, you might've been the favorite, but definitely it was clear that you were not, you were not sailing through by any sort. <laughs> no, I was not. And now the, the whole thing was that I wanted the finale to be fun. I was trying to channel Julia in that spirit, you know, it's okay if you make a mistake, just have fun, enjoy it. You are doing something you want to do, but it's hard when you have to do like all of these dishes in only three hours. So what happened is that I, I thought about bringing all those Brazilianness and Latin American influences to, to my menu, but I was nervous. I was so nervous. And I cooked, we have a similar kind of dish in Brazil, which is called vaca tolada. And, and it's very similar to ropa vieja. So, but, but I love ropa vieja. And then that's why I decided I would, I would do a riff on it. Um, so I cooked it. I cooked it many, many times in the past and I burned it before. So I knew when I burnt during the finale what I could do to fix it. So that's when practice came to help. Oh my you God, know? I'm having goosebumps because that's such a Julia thing because I obviously knew that you burned it. I did not know that you burned it before because to <laughs> me, I think that was such a key piece of inspiration from Julia, which is you have to learn from your mistakes in cooking and you almost have to make mistakes both to know how to do things better. But I always say the best chefs, even restaurant chefs, it's not that they're perfectionists or perfect. It's that they know how to fix things when they get in crisis. <laughs> and being on a cooking show is pretty much, I think it, it's actually like 60% knowing how to fix things, <laughs> that, you know, and 40% knowing how to do things. And, and practice is really good. Like I knew how to fix a bunch of things when they went south. So that is really what I think <laughs> helped me during the show because so many things went wrong. I can even not remember how many dishes. <laughs> Well, I love hearing now that you'd actually burned that dish before, which because because we all were watching that. And we're like, oh, my God, is it going to be <laughs> inedible because it's burnt? And then, of course, the judges didn't. Well, they must have known because they if you can't always tell in the uh, on the television screen the way it's shot. But the judges are sitting to the side, so they're not immediately there, but they can pretty much see what's going on. They just have to be paying attention at that moment. Yeah. And um, I burnt it before. And what I knew and this is actually my dad that thought me. Uh, taught me. He said, you know, don't scrape the pan, just scoop out from the top part. And then you have to refresh some flavors. You have to add some, you know, different kind of nuance to it. So what I did, I added some fresh wine towards the end. So it would have more acidity. And then <laughs> I was trying to just mask up the burnt flavor. But I think they probably had to throw the, the pressure cooker away. <laughs> Things were oh. <laughs> awful. <laughs> wow. Oh, I love that. And I didn't know that either, that you sort of channeled that spirit of your father to to, to make the save. Wow. That's oh. so, so Todd, lovely. I, you know, I since since he passed and I've been on this journey of doing what I love, I think he had has been following me, you know, and during the show, I could feel that so many times. It's just like that kind of push you need just go for it you can do it you know and i want people to believe that because that is that is magic and and it really can change things 
Absolutely. Um, you know how to make everyone verklempt with your story. So I, I want to change to, uh, before we run out of time, to talk about Paris and the Cordon Bleu. And you'll be going this fall. Um, and I'm just curious to kind of hear your thoughts on, like, you know, what your expectations are, what you're worried about. I think, do you speak enough French already from having the education that you talked about? I can understand a lot of French. I cannot speak, unfortunately. And I'm, but I'm I'm doing classes now, getting ready because I wanted to have the full experience. <laughs> um, but I'm so excited, and it, this is really I've been dreaming about this since I can remember being alive. So this is like everything came to to reality so suddenly, and it's it feels magic, and I'm so excited and. The sad thing is that I'm, Doug is not, it's not going to be joining me, so I'm going to be alone, but I'm excited to eat everything. I'm actually going to the gym because I have to lose some, some weight so I can eat all the croissants I want in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> well, the great thing in Paris is it's a very walkable city, so you can do lots of walking to, you know. Uh- <laughs> No, uh, I'm and, serious. And I can it's, walk holding a croissant in my hand, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And maybe to explain, one of the reasons Douglas can't go with you is just because of visa things with you being already yeah. immigrants to the U.S. to then be able to go to Paris without him doing a course as well is difficult. Yeah, yeah. This whole being an immigrant is so hard. You know, you have to uh, abide by all these rules and everything. So we're in process of him, you know, getting his documents settled and everything. So it's it might take more time. And I decided to go this year. Still, I could go next year, but I'm so excited. I I can't wait anymore. I just want to go. <laughs> well, and you're. Uh, um... You have a lovely uh, Instagram feed where you do a lot of posts and videos and things. And are you kind of, do you have in your mind, depending on how tired and exhausted you are, that you will do kind of posts or storytelling about your journey? Um, so I love, I love sharing everything with people, you know, all the little tricks, everyone, everything I'm eating. But the whole thing with Paris is that since the show came out and I got so many messages and, and I feel like other, I feel like people are excited to go on that journey with me. So it feels like kind kind of mandatory for me to share it. You know, I will share with much pleasure, but also because this doesn't belong only to me. This belongs to everyone that has had this type of dream in the past, you know, and I want people to feel encouraged by it. So definitely share everything. And and I want people to really feel like they're in Paris experiencing Le Cordon Bleu with me by my side. And I want to go back to Brazil for a second before we go to the final break. And did did the Food Network show, did the Julia Child Challenge end up airing in Brazil? Or how aware are people of what you're doing back home? Um, it is going to air um, towards the end of June. People are sending me photos of the commercials already. Um, Brazilians are crazy with this like no one believes a brazilian won a julia child <laughs> competition <laughs> i still don't believe it fully <laughs> but it's so um our country has been going through difficult times um and i feel like whenever someone stands out doing something they love you know it could be in sports art or everything we have this communal sense of positivity and and just happiness you know to feel represented somehow so i think um i'm glad to bring that type of joy 
to my people somehow. And and I just want people to get cooking more and, and learning about Julia more and more. And they love the HBO um, Julia show as well. So this is a good entrance way for people to get to know Julia. And then now they're going to cook with us. <laughs> I see. So the scripted series on HBO Max aired already because they have HBO Max in Brazil. And, yeah. And then do they have Food Network in Brazil or how how is it going to play in Brazil? Oh, yeah, we do have Food Network, but there's I think the show is going to play in other channels, too, like the Discovery channels. Mm-hmm. And we, we do love some Discovery in Brazil. So <laughs> I think it's going to be fun. <laughs> so you basically still have that to come, like because the show hasn't aired yet in Brazil, but will that's going to kind of change your profile there as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's always a challenge because. Um, it's always a challenge to decide in what language should I post? Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a different person speaking in English and in Portuguese. So now I want everyone to know about this, but I don't want the American people to feel left out. So please, if you have any tips, Todd. <laughs> I think you have to alternate. I read your your Portuguese posts and usually, I mean, I speak a little bit of Italian, a little bit of Spanish and a decent amount of French. And I feel like Portuguese is all of those mixed together. So usually I can figure it out. And there's Google Translate. And I, I are you like a super serious and not bubbly person in Portuguese? <laughs> no, I'm actually a little bit extra. I'm more bubbly. <laughs> oh, you're like, okay. All right. Well, I think you're getting my serious version right now. <laughs> okay. Well, that's just going to encourage people to want to know what you're saying in Portuguese, I think. And yeah, no, I think you alternate. I think because that they're both who you are. And I do. I love that point that you made, though, but I feel that way, too, um, that you often have a slightly, not you personally, one often has a different personality or slightly different personality, particularly if you're bilingual or in or had a native language and then switched. It's really fascinating where you use, it's not uncommon. Um, <laughs> I don't know why it is, but it's not uncommon. I know, I know. It's the same thing. Since I, when I learned how to speak English fluently, I had this conversation with, you know, my family and everything, um, saying about how I feel like I'm a different person speaking in another language. So I'm excited to see the French version of me now. <laughs> yes, we all are. All right. Well, we're going to take a break and we'll be back to hear uh, Jaini's Julia moment. Let us know what you think of today's show. Send us an email or a voice memo to contact at juliachildfoundation.org. Or better yet, tweet us at juliachildjcf. Stay with us. We'll be right back. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia Moment. Here's when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory moment or how she has inspired them in their career. Jaini, I'm curious what you're going to say. You've already told us many Julia moments. What's your official Julia moment? Well, you know, I have a lot of Julia moments for sure. Um, winning the show was actually, I think, the biggest of them because it was just so emotional. But I have another story that I, I never shared, but I would love to. Please. So when yeah. I was, um, I finally, you know, decided that I wanted to stay in the U.S. And then I applied for this whole immigration thing. And then it took me 
like two and a half to three years to finally get a green card, right? Because this is a whole other story. But then um, Doug and I were moving to California and then we stopped at the Smithsonian to see Julia's Kitchen. Mm -hmm. And that was like, I remember they were closing for two weeks the whole food section of the museum because they would do some renovations and I couldn't find any tickets. So I had to call them like three times a day. Please, please, please let me stop there. I want to see Julia's Kitchen. And then it worked out. And was this in between when you'd done the show, but it was still a secret? Yeah, no, I haven't. I was still auditioning. This was on your way to California to do the taping. Yeah, so I was still auditioning for the show. That was the There was the possibility for me to be on the show, but there was a detail to it. I need to have a green card, you know, uh-huh. because it was a requirement for me to be on the show. And I had a work permit so far, but I did not have a green card and I could not travel with a work permit. So I didn't know what was the what was the prize, but I knew about this requirement that I would need a green card. Oh, that's right, because they didn't reveal the Cordon Bleu prize until the first day you were there. Yeah, no, they did not. I did not know about that. So there was this. I wanted to be on the show, and then I I didn't know if that would be possible because my lawyer said, well, it might take more eight to ten months for you to get a green card. So you know you cannot do this without it. And they said, well, that's okay. I'm just going to arrive in California and see how things go. (laughs) And then we stopped at this kitchen and, you know, I was just trying to to channel that spirit of um, really feeling grateful for how far I have come so far. Because I was in the Amazon a few years ago dreaming about this day where I could do this. And then I was finally there and I just felt so grateful and, and so enthusiastic about the future somehow and Doug and I were talking like, and we were talking like we're, if we were talking with Julia. And then we both said, Julia, if you think I should be on the show, <laughs> I think you have to help me with this green card thing. And then we both laughed. And then t- Todd, this gives me goosebumps. And, and I hope people don't believe, don't think I'm making this up. But I got my green card the next day. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I have goosebumps, but I believe it. And I have to say, so you're saying you and Doug visited the installation of the kitchen at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. And while you were there, you made this wish together? Yes, we made this wish together because we had Like in front of the kitchen installation. In front of the kitchen, yes. Because it's impossible for you to be there and not feel like Julia is there. It's her kitchen. (laughs) No, and that's so fat. I have goosebumps again, because I always say when you're there, it feels like a shrine. It feels slightly religious. And the fact that like you guys went there like a wishing well and your wish was granted. I was like, you can't make this stuff. You can't make this stuff up. (laughs) I know. And then it was so funny because the whole thing, I had to go through um, interviews, immigration interviews, to get a green card approved. So I had to be working already in order to get to the interview point, then they would grant me a green card. But because of the pandemic, they changed things a bit and they were um, granting people green green cards without interviews. So that was Uh... the reason mine was so quick. And then when I called my lawyers, I said, well, I got an email this morning saying that I got a green card, but you know, it's not the right timing. And then she explained, but she said, you know, it sounds like a miracle to me. (laughs) And I was like, oh, it sounds like a miracle to me too. (laughs) So that was, 
you know, I don't know if it was Julia, if it was not, but I want to believe she was there and I want to believe she was happy with the path I was following and, and I just try to think of her whenever I want some advice, even during the show, you know, in my mind, I was like, what would Julia do? And then I think somehow the universe helped me in that way. Well, I think your whole story is so inspiring and it it's the parallels of how Julia's story inspired you and how I really hope that your story will also um, inspire others. And I can't wait to follow your journey. I, it's only the sky's the limit, I think. <laughs> Thank you, Todd. I'm, I'm really, the only thing that lives in me right now is gratitude to everyone and everything that happened to me you know it's been a long journey but a really fun one and that's the main thing in my life I just want things to be fun and easy and light because that there really that is really why we are here you know to enjoy this this little time we have and for things to be delicious I'm sure you're that. <laughs> exactly and to, for us to eat a lot for us <laughs> to enjoy the pleasures of the table Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Jaini, and we look forward to hearing and talking to you after you come back from the Cordon Bleu in Paris. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'll definitely come back with a lot of delicious things in the bag. <laughs> and I can't wait to share this whole journey with you. And, and I hope I'll make Julia proud somehow. I can't imagine that you will not. And to share in Jaini's uh journey. As I said, she does great posts on Instagram. Her handle is at Mikhevich, which I will spell because I don't think anyone would naturally know how to sell. I'm probably not even saying it right. So it's M-A-C-K like Mac, I-E-V-I-C like Charlie, Z like Zebra. And it's the same handle at Mikhevich on Twitter. And she's at Jaini.Mikhevich on Facebook. And Jaini is the Brazilian version of Jane. I think you told me, right? And it's J-A-I-N-E. So there you go. That Those are the ways to keep up with Jaini and follow her journey to the Cordon Bleu in Paris and beyond. For all the latest from the foundation, it's at Julia Child on Facebook and at Julia Child Foundation on Instagram. It's at Julia Child JCF and I'm at T. Shulkin on Twitter. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at WGBH. Thanks, as always, to my co-producer at the Foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Matt Patterson. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Veldorny. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after, wherever you find your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next time on Inside Julia's Kitchen. Inside Julia's Kitchen is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.